Hello everyone, my name is Caleb Walgren and you're listening to Season 5, Episode 35 of Brody Sports Talk. I am joined by a man who doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. And that is my true orange Oklahoma State and Denver Bronco fan, Derek Rusnick. Uh, he loves when people get it correct, uh, like Derek Stingley. Uh, Derek, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. I am so orange that I am a Clementine today. Uh, a little cutie, a uh, little tiny orange that uh, you can peel with your hands. I love those things. I eat so many of them. That's why I'm Captain Orange because uh, I, I get I get my there is no scurvy in this household uh, because we eat a lot of citrus and a lot of oranges. So that's uh, I am living up to my name of Captain Orange. And then it's not because uh, he went to Syracuse. It's not has it, he, he's not close to being a Florida man with all the oranges he eats either. So just to be clear about these things, he's just regular, good old Captain Orange. But let's go ahead and go through our rundown of what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be pretty simple. We've got our usual Brody spotlights, things that we want to kind of bring up after the Super Wild Card weekend that we had. And just a, an interesting week in the world of sports between when we recorded last week and now. Then we're going to talk about uh, those games where we went right on some of our Brody bets with high fives and handshakes. Some of the things that we maybe didn't expect quite that way. But in, all in all, it will be a, a good set of games for us to go through. And then, of course, we got to preview the divisional round games. We are down from 14 to 8 teams. Some teams are getting their playoff debut. And it's going to be an exciting weekend again in the world of sports uh, with potentially less snow, uh, but probably not less Taylor Swift. And that's okay. <laughs> uh, but, Derek, uh, I want to hear where you're coming from. What is your spotlight this week? Okay, so we finally got the big news this week um, that Caleb Williams is officially going to the NFL. Um, that's a, you know, as we like to put, uh, in 2024, one of our words is going to be domino. So, uh, the first domino to fall was going to be Caleb Williams because everyone says he is a consensus number one overall pick and the best quarterback that's going to be in the draft this year. Um, so we now have that one. We, uh, and now we know like, okay, the Bears are on the clock. Are they going to trade Justin Fields? Are they going to and draft Caleb Williams? Are they going to keep Justin and uh, draft someone else? Are they going to trade the first round pick? I mean, the number one overall pick. Um, you know, now we have a little bit more clarification on on that. Um, so this year's NFL draft has some really big names. Uh, I I am a, a big college football fan, and uh, you know, as I talk about it on a a uh, weekly basis here. I try to bring in the college football. Uh, I just want to go down some names here of guys that are in this year's draft. Of course, we have Caleb Williams, Drake May, you know, the uh, best NFL-ready quarterback, um, second-best quarterback in the draft this year. Uh, Jaden Daniels from LSU just won a Heisman. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Ohio State, uh, probably the best receiver in the draft. Brock Bowers, uh, the future of the tight end position in the NFL, um, coming out of Georgia. 
Uh, I really do think he's going to be really good. We have J.J. McCarthy. Uh, the only thing that guy has ever done is lose one game in college uh, <laughs> and win a national championship this year. So he's walking in there with a uh, a little chip on his shoulder and a little bit uh, of stepping in, into the right direction. Kool-Aid McKistry. Uh, I've been watching that kid for three years now because of his uh, first name, Kool-Aid. Uh, but coming out of Alabama, uh, a cornerback, uh, really good. He's actually uh, much better than his name gives him credit for. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun little thing to say, but uh, he's very talented. Uh, and then, of course, we have the Pac-12 guys, Bo Nix and Michael Penix. Uh, you know, Michael Penix was up there. Uh, in a national championship game versus AJ, I mean, sorry, JJ McCarthy. Um, you know, a, a, a divisive guy, if anything, uh, can be a bust or a boom. You really don't know. He's a very good football player. We have a lot of great names. These are just the top level offensive guys. We're not even talking about, uh, well, there's a defensive guy on there, but, uh, these are just the top level guys. Not talking about offensive linemen or defensive linemen. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of guys out of Texas this year. Um, so I think this is going to be a very deep draft. And I think, uh, you, you're going to be able to get a lot of value out of third round, fourth round, fifth round picks because it's very talented. And there's a lot of guys this year that are coming out that, uh, you're not just going to hit on one guy. Uh, you're, there's, there's, you know, if you're not going to get your guy, you're going to get a guy that is going to, uh, set up your franchise or, or should. So, uh, you know, now that we've, you know, we're out of the college football season, we've had the national championship. Um, now guys are officially putting their name in the draft. They're, uh, you know, not coming back to school because school has just started the last week or so. Uh, we see who's in school and who's not. So, I uh, I am ramping up to April for the draft. Uh, I am very excited to see what, uh, you know, the number 12 pick for the Broncos is going to be. Uh, probably a defensive guy. But, I mean, there's still, you know, how many names do we go down that are, there's one, two, three, four, five, six quarterbacks on just my list. There's probably not going to be six quarterbacks taken in the first 12 picks. So maybe at 12, you get a Bo, Bo Nix. Who knows? You know, Russell Wilson may be there still. He may, uh, you know, have uh, Sean Payton over for dinner or something like that and, and make up. This draft, now that we've gotten most of everybody's name in there, can't wait to uh, see the future of the NFL. Definitely feels like a lot of the future of the NFL is coming into this draft. And I, I can't agree with you more. Lots of talent at the quarterback position, lots of offensive talent. You mentioned Brock Bowers. Uh, you didn't even get into like some of the star receivers that are coming in this class, like Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, and Rome Adunze, who I frequently see those three potentially all as top 10 picks mm-hmm. in this draft class. Like, get ready to see the stars of tomorrow as they, they're coming, and they're coming quickly, and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, 
Derek, let's talk about some of the coaching moves as we go to the wild wide wild world of sports as far as the the coaching carousel has been going. Because after we recorded last week, there was some big news that came out later in the week as the Seahawks decided that Pete Carroll was no longer going to be the head coach of their team, and they moved him into an advisor position, probably in part because they do have a year on his contract. They like him. If it's someone where he can, you know, help mentor in someone potentially, I don't know what kind of advisory role he has. It doesn't sound like they know fully what kind of advisory role we have for him, but uh, the Seahawks are putting Pete Carroll, uh, a man in his 70s, off of the sidelines and into working somewhere else. Uh, Derek, I feel like this is something we've somewhat looked at for the last couple of years as a, at some point they're not going to want Pete Carroll to be the quarter, the coach of the future. We saw it after the Russell Wilson trade and they were like, how long is Pete Carroll going to be in charge of this rebuild? Well, it looks like he had two years of Geno. Uh, any other thoughts or any, any reactions you have to Pete Carroll, uh, no longer being the head coach, uh, I guess I should say Super Bowl champion Pete Carroll or also former collegiate champion Pete Carroll. Like, he's he's done a lot of things in his coaching career. Yeah, he's won championships everywhere he's gone. Um, and I don't think people understand just how hard it is to win uh, any kind of championship. Uh, Division two, II, Division three, uh, BCS era. Because back in those days, you had to get be in the top two to uh, to get to the to national championship game, uh, and he was part of some really good ones, uh, had some really good players too. And then he gets up to Seattle, and you know he has Russell Wilson for most of his career, did good things with uh, with Russell. Um, I think the, the gum economy in Seattle is now going to be devastated as he chews so much gum and so aggressively that, uh, I just don't know how juicy fruit, uh, just how they, how they survive. But, uh, I'm a, I'm a Pete Carroll fan. I don't, I've never really had anything against him. Um, cause I, I think he's always done things the right way. So, uh, you know, as best as, as he could, goes out there, uh, hires some really good, uh, assistants, which have turned on, you know, coordinators t- turned out to be, uh, head coaches elsewhere. I mean, so, uh, you know, I don't, I think he's just going to get one of those cushy jobs with a title and, uh, you know, just be the guy who goes and talks to the players and like, you know, player, you know, connection with the, with the higher up. Cause he's always been a player's coach. Um, so like he's gonna, he's gonna have that, you know, translating the NFL to, uh, to the guys. Um, and I wish him well. I mean, we'll see who they get to replace him, but, uh, you know, Pete Carroll has been good and, uh, does not look his age. Definitely does not. And, I I think it's interesting. I'm looking at some of the things as far as Carol was concerned. Like uh, 
he never played as a professional. The fact that he basically went from being a grad assistant at Pacific and moved his way up in the coaching ranks is is quite interesting. He ended up working with Monty Kiffin at the University of Arkansas. Wow. Like uh the uh backup quarterback at that time was Houston Nutt. Like the names that can be attached to Pete Carroll are long and they are just very interesting. You know, when you look at the fact that he went up to the NFL and, you know, replaced Bill Parcells and like it's up there with that coaching tree. You did a lot, Pete. We're proud of you. Um, I will say just looking at it here, coaching career in the NFL, 181, 131 and one. And, and, College 83 and 19, which I'm assuming probably has a too many vacated wins there, but seven time Pac-10 champion, Super Bowl champion. You did it all, Pete. Yeah. Let's, yeah let's good not, job. Uh, good job on him. Let's, uh, let's keep this, uh, coach praise party going though, as uh, we get to arguably, I, I think it's, probably safe to say the best college coach of all time with a 292-71-1 record as a head coach, seven national championships, and that is Nick Saban, who has chosen to retire after getting, like I said, multiple national championships there at the University of Alabama. Six of them were there. He had four Heisman winners. He's the one that made Alabama what they are in the 21st century. Um, he's retiring. He's gone. I'll let you talk about some of the domino effect, Derek, but Nick Saban, no longer going to be the coach of the Crimson Tide. Uh, and speaking of domino, not only dominoes in the coaching carousel, but also dominoes in the transfer portal because, oh my goodness, did I feel like I saw a lot of people who said, I came here to play for Nick and he's not here. So uh, anything you want to say about Nick and his legacy and then uh, what the, the fallout's going to be? Yeah, so um, not just the the brand of Alabama, but also the one of the reasons why – some of these great guys are going to these schools is the NIL money. Well, Nick Saban is the guy who talks them into certain deals. Um, so like it's a, he's, he's got a, a good relationship with the collective. And so, uh, you know, he is, he facilitates things. Let's put it that way. Just, uh, uh, in, all in a legal way, all in a above board, whatever contact they can have, uh, with that. So he is, uh, one of the reasons why they have such a good collective down there is, you know, he, he gets the money, uh, you know, from the boosters into the collective. He gets the right guys to his school. 
Um, he is a very good coach, uh, a very good preparer of his team uh, to a uh, to a game. Uh, he is one of, if not the best, coach re- rehabilitators in the history of mankind. Because uh, how many guys have gone through the Nick Saban school of uh, co-defensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator, uh, analyst? Stuff like that. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian uh, for Texas. One of those guys. Lane uh, Kiffin. <laughs> Bill O'Brien. Um, you know, he's he's currently in the school. Uh, so, yeah, well, this guy. Isn't Brian Dabble on that list, too? Uh, you know, I, I don't know all the names because of the uh, of who's yeah. in that school. Yeah, he was the offensive coordinator for Bama. Before he went to be the offense coordinator for the Bills before he got the Giants head coaching job. Like the amount of things that coach rehabilitator, like we could, we could probably have a whole podcast just of that. We're not going it, to today. Yeah. I mean, I could, I, I, I could talk to this guy for hours. I mean, not to mention creating his biggest rival, uh, in his own school. Uh, and this was Kirby Smart. So Kirby Smart, longtime defensive coordinator, for Alabama, Kirby then goes to Georgia and creates this monster of a uh, back-to-back national champion. Probably should have been a third time because um, I think they beat Michigan if they're playing on that field. But uh, they didn't get in there. But I mean, he he created his the, his biggest rival of of the last five or so years. Um, so, you know, let me, let me get into the, the domino as it were. So with Saban retiring, they have to replace him. Soon after he retires, Bama hires uh, Kalen DeBoer from Washington. Washington was just in the national championship game. I talked about Michael Penix uh, a minute ago. You know, they brought in him for a, uh, a short-term rental on that. He's moving on to the NFL. Um, shows what he can do with talent. Uh, so with uh, Kalen going to Bama, Washington needs a coach. Now Jed Fish, uh, who is the head coach of Arizona, or was the head coach of Arizona, a really good program this year. Um, you know, they're moving into the Big 12 next year, uh, but Washington's going to the Big 10. So, you know, a little bit more money there. So Jed Fish goes up to Washington, and I saw something. I think it's the San Diego State coach is going to Arizona. Um, so those there's another domino. I don't remember that person's name. I think I just saw it in passing a minute ago. Uh, uh, Brent Brennan uh, from San Jose State. Yeah, that's what I thought. So you know there is you go all the way from Alabama down to San Jose State. Uh, it's six degrees of separation in the college coaching, and that's the kind of waves that a guy like Nick Saban creates. So we're not talking about uh, a Brian Kelly type that went, goes from one top ten team to another top ten team when he left Notre Dame to go to LSU uh, a couple of years ago uh, back, where – you know, you've got guys who are, uh, you know, saying you know, like for like. This has has kind of everyone got a promotion, 
So uh, I don't think there's ever going to be another Nick Saban. I definitely don't think there's going to be uh, one out there again. I mean, like I said, Kirby Smart has uh, two as a head coach right now. And, uh, you know, a great, uh, you know, he has a chance. But was it seven that he had? Six at Alabama, one at LSU? Yep. Yeah, so seven uh, seven national championships is really hard, especially with the parody that's out there right now. So, uh, you know, I, I will give him a, a standard bleat, as he definitely is the GOAT of college football. He definitely is. And... Credit where credit is due, Nick. You you did it a lot. I didn't like seeing you win, but uh, <laughs> you you wanted a tremendous clip. So let's go ahead and go to the last bit of coaching news that is a big turnover this past week, and that is that the Patriots and Bill Belichick uh, d- decided to go their separate ways. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a firing. It Seemed like it was all fairly mutual, but Bill is getting out of there, no longer having to deal with Robert Kraft. And uh, the Patriots basically already had it in Gerard Mayo's contract that when he, when Bill was no longer the coach, that they were going to promote him. Um, 37 years old, Gerard Mayo is going to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. I mean, heck, he literally got into coaching in 2019 with the team and was a player on the team from 2008 to 2015. Like, was a top 10 pick in the draft when he got there. But it is a fast rise to coaching as Gerard Mayo lands that spot. Probably should... Let's 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 open it up with Bill, uh, Derek. Uh, Bill obviously is on the market, which makes this a a very odd coaching market in the NFL right now. And then uh, we'll come back to Mayo here in a second. But what do you think about the Patriots and Bill Belichick going their separate ways? So I think this is a uh, an issue with Bill Belichick, the GM rather than Bill Belichick, the coach. I think that Bill Belichick, the coach, still has it. I still think he has um, the ability to uh, create, to prepare, to build game plans, to see what's happening on the field, and to react to it, to build uh, second-half adjustments. He's got everything that you need in a coach I think that he had too much power with the Patriots, got lucky by putting together, um, you know, the best quarterback of all time. And frankly, when you don't have to worry about a, a quarterback for 20 years, your draft picks are, you know, you can go draft something and do a pretty good job because you're not looking for the face of your franchise. Like even, our glorious Packers that uh, we'll talk about a little bit later on, they've gotten lucky. I mean, they, they've had a uh, what probably is a a top ten quarterback since 1992. Um, they went Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, now to Jordan Love, and 
you know, that Jordan Love pick looked really bad a couple of years ago, but you see what happened when you just have the handoff from one to another and you constantly have that, that there. The Patriots didn't have to worry about, uh, who their quarterback was and that quarterback brought in, uh, free agents or cheap all the time. So the GM side of it was much easier for, for Bill Belichick. He had his dog draft one year. I mean, it was probably the cutest thing I've seen in a long while where, uh, you know, he had his dog sitting in the chair watching the draft, uh, and he wasn't even in the picture. Um, but so I think coach Belichick will go somewhere else. I think he'll get, uh, he'll get the record in the next three years, uh, with a, with a really good team. Uh, but the biggest issue has to be with don't give him so much power. Don't give him so much roster control as, uh, I think that's what needs to be fixed. You're, you're probably right, Derek, but I also know that a lot of teams would, would give a lot for the things that Bill Belichick was able to do over his career. I know that he may have had some swings and misses, but this, even this last year where he went four and 13 was just really out of the ordinary. Normally he is, uh, Tomlin-esque in as far as his coaching record is concerned, uh, putting up at least respectable seasons, even if not playoff seasons. Yes, he had Tom Brady for a lot of that. Tom Brady also had him. Excellent defensive play caller. You know that he's going to, even, you know, as a coach in his 70s, he's going to find ways to get this done differently than anyone else would expect. He is a special coach and... I think that we would tend to agree that it is a win and not if, or a who and not when, as far as where Bill Belichick coaches next. Um, jobs are open. Bill's a whole lot better than a lot of what is out there. I do think that it would be best to let him be the X's and O's coach and not make him the GM as well. If you have to have him do both, I don't know that you say no. You don't want to lose him because of that refusal. But I hear what you're saying, Derek. It's it's good. It's got to be tough. But if it's a uh, Bill went and coached this other team because we wouldn't let him have personnel decisions, that hurts. So um I saw earlier, I don't remember if it was yesterday or today, but that he finished his interview with the Atlanta Falcons. That's the first uh name that I have seen that he has actually interviewed for. Um, give me your first breath thought of him if he wants to go be the Falcons coach. So I can't take full credit for this, uh, but I did see someone post on 
uh, good old Twitter. I was finding it in our Twitter feed at Brody Talk, and it was like, so, Bill, tell us a time when you overcame insurmountable odds and were able to find success. Yeah, the Falcons are fully aware of that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I think it, the main reason I think that would be an odd fit for me is similar to what you were mentioning. I I don't think they have the quarterback, and I don't know that Bill is really the best quarterback evaluator. I think if you're giving him an opening, you want to put him somewhere with possibly Justin Herbert or someone who you at least believe a little bit more in the talent than a current quarterback locker room of Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. It does not inspire confidence to me. Okay, you have to have a plan to address it and address it fast. He's Maybe going up for one of those pick. stars. Hey, I mean, you if you say, hey, we're taking the eighth pick and we're moving up and we're getting a guy, fine. I just don't want Bill to have final say over that guy either. Similar to what you said. I mean, that's, I, I think he's always been too loyal to the guys that he has had in the past. I mean, we talked about Nick Saban and the uh, you're bringing back old coaches that need rehab or whatnot. Uh, I mean, Josh McDaniels always has a uh, a plate at Bill Belichick's table. Matt Patricia, uh, you know, up until the last couple of years has, uh, has had a plate there. Um, his sons are basically, uh, there as well. So, like, there hasn't been a whole lot of fresh blood in that, uh, in that, uh, coaching in the last, let's say, five to ten years. And I think, uh, new coordinators with, uh, fresh ideas could, do some good. I think you're right, and I'm curious to see how much all of that changes with Mayo. We do, haven't heard a lot of discussion about it yet, but I think some changes are going to be necessary, and I'm just curious to see what they are and how they happen. Um, Derek, let me. Are you are you good with that point? Are you ready for me to go ahead and do my point here? Go ahead. All right. So my spotlight is that. This off-season that we are entering in 2024, it really does feel like it's going to be an off-season to remember. We're already seeing some of the great coaches move on from teams they've been at for a long time. You know, Nick Saban's no longer going to be at Bama. It's going to be different seeing players come out of Bama in the future. Um, The Seahawks don't have Pete Carroll, who they had for, what, 15 years or so? The Patriots no longer have Bill Belichick, who they had for the last 24 years. That all feels different. You talked about some of the future stars that are coming into the league. We've talked about a deep quarterback class. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, uh, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy. Like, we could be seeing the next young wave of quarterbacks that are coming to change and impact the league. I'm not saying for sure that they will, but it definitely feels like there's some transition there. Um, 
we have a lot of people who are supposed to hit the free agent market that could have a big impact. Uh, Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill, potentially veteran quarterbacks that could be brought in somewhere. Probably more Cousins than Tannehill. Um, a lot of talented defensive players and Leonard Williams, Chris Jones, and Daniil Hunter that all could hit free agency. And then you have some experience in like Mike Evans, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Derek Henry. All of these type of players are free agents as well. And it's a, how different is the landscape going to look after this year? You know, we have for sure, we have a lot of openings now. Uh, now that we've had Seattle open theirs, uh, Patriots have Mayo. That's a new coach. But as far as the NFL coaching carousel, Derek, we had talked about it last week. We're talking about a lot of new coaches this coming season. Um, you know, Seattle, Tennessee, Washington, Atlanta, the Chargers, the Panthers, the Raiders, <laughs> like, that's, I think that's eight. And, and that's not talking about all of the coordinator changes. And I mean, I mentioned it before. We may not be done with coaching changes. Um, you know, Jerry's brought in Parcells before. He likes those big name coaches. If he knows Bill, someone who he's probably looked at for the last 24 years and been like, why didn't we get that guy is available? You, clearly he will not be the GM if he goes to Dallas, but you have to at least think that Jerry is checking the back channels to see if there's any way that he would be interested in coming there if they were to get rid of Mike. I I just feel like there's a lot of change and a lot of transition. Um, there are a lot of rumors out there that I, I don't know that if they're true, if Jason Kelsey is going to retire, uh, future Hall of Famer most likely. And it just feels like there is going to be a lot that happens. It feels like this is going to be an off season where you go, man, do you remember when we changed from the early 2000s to the, or early 2020s to the late 2020s? Um, because it just feels like a, a bit of a fresh start for a lot of people. And I'm just very curious how it all pans out. Uh, Derek, I know you were kind of curious where I was going with this point. Uh, any thoughts or reactions that you want to throw in here on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you when it comes to this is going to be a big off season. Um, there is a lot at stake. And I think I, I, I the, the best thing I think that you said was this is going to be a branch off of where we have been in the past. So where were you, uh, the first, you know, half of the 2020s? Uh, this is going to be between 2025 and 2030 is what I think is a, is a new, is, is, is the new upcoming version of the NFL. I think that we are going to have, 15, 16 teams a year that are going to have uh, quarterbacks that are stable and young and going to be around a while. Uh, 
So like the playoffs are going to be are going to be better. I mean, we just go down the teams that are in the uh, playoffs this year. You know, I think Stafford is probably the uh, the oldest guy there. I think he's like the thirty. I think he's thirty eight. So like we're not talking about Peyton and and Tom Brady anymore. Um, I mean, we're talking about Lamar, and we're talking about Patrick, and we're talking about Josh Allen. Uh, you know, those guys that have seven, ten more years, uh, depending on O-lines. So with the free agency, with a what I think is a deep draft, with the coaching changes of two of the older guys leaving um, their respective teams, Bill Belichick, everyone knows, is going to be a short-term hire. You're talking three, four years at the most, um, and probably not going to a team that he has to rebuild. He's probably stepping into a team, uh, like you said earlier, the Chargers, loaded with talent, um, probably already has their uh, a, a, a plan for the future, uh, probably already has their offensive coordinator that, that he would have to keep. Uh, probably bring in a, uh, a defensive coordinator of his own regard if he, uh, if he did. Uh, you know, so you're looking at a team that, uh, is in win now, now mode. Pete Carroll moves into a, uh, advisor position, you know, so one of the, uh, the old guard is there. I think we're going to start seeing younger, uh, I mean, we didn't really even talk about Gerard Mayo uh, being the youngest coach now in the NFL, beating uh, Sean McVay by a couple of months at 37 when uh, when McVay took over the Rams. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to see young and we're going to see new offenses, new defenses. We're going to see an influx of new talent, uh, not just coaching, but players, uh, GMs who analytics come along, uh, you know, like seeing what these, and not to mention a almost developmental league in the UF, uh, UFL, where you've got the guys who are now playing in the spring who are signing NFL contracts. Uh, you know, Tommy Maddox from the, uh, has a ring because he won in the original XFL and then he went to the Steelers. I mean, and all of this happened. We didn't talk yet about the fact that Jim Harbaugh is potentially going to be an NFL head coach next year. This is true. Like, there's so much that could be happening this off season. It's just going to be curious to see where everything lands. It's we don't be know fun. for sure. We don't know for sure right now. Yeah, so it will be fun. It will be a lot of fun. I'm having fun with it at least. Yeah, I I, I like to speculate. That's what I like to do. Uh, I like to uh, say this is what's going to happen, and I am not the smartest person in the room. <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. Are we ready to move on to uh, some Brody bets from last week? Yeah, let's look back at Super Wild Card Weekend and see how things panned out. Yeah, so we start off with the first game from Super Wild Card Weekend. Um, we had the Browns going down to Houston, Texas, 
to play the Texans. Uh, and a lot of people said the Browns with uh, elite Joe Flacco, um, they were just going to stomp all over the young upcoming uh, Houston Texans. Speaking of a young coach, there's D'Amico Ryans, um, you know, doing a great job. Uh, Texas blow out the Browns 45 to 14 in a game that was not even that close. Uh, the number one defense in the league, supposedly, uh, I called them out several weeks ago about them actually not being the number one defense, even though statistically they were. I saw this coming a mile away. Um, these Texans, they are fun to watch. Uh, the Panthers have to be kicking themselves to, uh, pass up CJ Stroud to go with Bryce Young. I still think they made a good pick. I don't think Bryce Young is a bad quarterback, but, uh, CJ Stroud is probably going to win the, uh, offensive rookie of the year. I think he's doing a great job. And they're moving on to the next week's games where they get to be the number one seed. It's true. Um, Derek, I don't know if you saw the, the stat that they put out partway through the game. Um, but they, they showed it and I went, why, why didn't anyone talk about this when they were talking about the Browns being the number one defense? At home this year, the Browns went eight and one and they were allowing 13.9 points per game. Very good, very respectable. Uh, something I think that most people would say, yeah, look at that. That's, that's great. On the road, three and five, giving up 29.6 points per game. <laughs> there, there's a sizable difference between giving up two and over four touchdowns a game. Now, don't get me wrong, this was not all on the defense because the Texans in the second half did get two interceptions returned for touchdown. One 82 yards by Steven Nelson and another 36 yards from Christian Harris. But yeah, it was a great day for Houston. Talking about young up and coming quarterbacks, CJ Stroud, uh, looks to be the quarterback of the future there in Houston. Sure. I think they've forgotten about old what's his name, even though he was on the other sideline and not playing. So I think that. Uh, the Texans have to be proud of how everything has turned out. And by beating the Browns, they actually help themselves out because they will get the Browns first round pick this coming year. And so they made sure that they're getting the 23rd pick in the draft and not letting the Browns get further and give them a worse pick. So, uh, it, it, it feels good for the Texans, which is something I don't think we could have said for several years, but they did fantastic. Laramie Tunsil. It's fantastic. We've hyped him up before, but uh, he he helped shut down Miles Garrett. Uh, anything else you want to add on this game, Derek? Uh, yeah, I my my favorite piece of this whole thing is is all of the draft picks that the Texans have from auctioning off their their quarterback and seeing it come back in their face. Uh, it is Chef's kiss. It is so very yummy. And to think if, you know, the, if they were actually able to beat the Ravens, uh, and, you know, get, and get that, uh, get their, get 
the home playoff game, then, you know, they probably could have beat the Texans. But they go on the road and they give up 45 points. So, uh, for me, this was, this was uh, a big highlight of the weekend, uh, to see young up and coming, uh, to see a team that I think actually may hold on to the AFC South for a while. Like we said, it's about the Jaguars. Um, you know, the, the Colts are coming along. We'll see what, uh, Anthony Richardson does, uh, next year for the Colts. Um, and, you know, new head coach for the Titans. We'll, uh, you know, maybe the South gets, uh, competitive like the East was this year. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the Texans could be the future of the AFC South. I think they could be the future. And if nothing else, I think the AFC South is about to get super feisty. And yeah. try to take that mantle from who I would assume is the AFC North, who everyone had winning records this year. Uh, it might take a couple of years, but the AFC South is, is a threat every week. Let's go ahead and go to the next game. Uh, thank goodness we were not present for it because it was <laughs> dang cold in Kansas City. Um, but you know, you could call it. The, the Harrison Butker show, he hit four field goals, but the Chiefs just had complete control of the game. It felt like outside of one play as they won 26 to seven. Derek, I know you had the Chiefs minus three and a half. Kudos on that. I had the under 42 and a half on that game, but a lot of Isaiah Pacheco getting carries on the ground. Patrick Mahomes doing some dinking and dunking and uh, Rasheed Rice showing that he should be getting more snaps. Uh, Derek, what, anything you want to toss out there? Where where do you want to go? Okay. So everyone who says, Oh, the chiefs are dead. The chiefs are dead. Well, guess what? Andy Reid has ice in his mustache and ice in his veins. He is just going to go, win another Super Bowl, uh, <laughs> and make everyone else look foolish doing it. Now, next week, first pl- uh, road playoff game in Patrick Mahomes' uh, short career, um, and we'll see what happens there. But in this game, you have Tyreek Hill coming back to Kansas City, you know, uh, great uh, great receiver under, uh, under there. I think that uh, – the th- the Chiefs three and a half was just uh, was just too easy uh, to to cover, and I thought that the Dolphins were going to make it a game. Uh, basically, if you can stop the timing, if you can if you can throw off that offense a little bit, uh, you know the Dolphins aren't quite clicking and they can't get anything going. So, uh, you know, I'll take a nineteen point win, and the Chiefs will move be moving on. Yeah, I think I was expecting more from former run game coordinator for Shanahan, but Raheem Mostert, 8 for 33, Devon Achan, 6 for 9, and that's, that's all you get. You're, you're running, and, and I know they fell behind. So, 14 total runs, that's not enough. 39 pass attempts by Tua. I know that it's almost like a pass to open up the run situation. It didn't work. That's all I can really add at this point. It didn't work. I uh, I would like to move from a cold game to a game that was in a dome as uh, 
I think all all new stadiums should have domes. We we shouldn't deal with this uh cold weather anymore. Um I get a daily, well not a daily, I'm sorry, a weekly reminder uh from my wife who sa- who looks at me and says this has happened since the December games have come along. Why are they still playing outside? Don't they have enough money to put a dome on their stadium? Yes, honey. I yes they do, but these some of these stadiums are decades old and two, that's a home field advantage. Huh. Just seems like a lot of money is being paid to these players and they can't run on on proper grass. That's a different story altogether. Uh this week we had the Packers headed down to Jerry World in a game that was over after what, the first quarter? Uh the second quarter. Second quarter? Okay. Uh, so Packers 48, Cowboys 32 in a game that was not that close. So that might seem like a, what, uh, 16 point differential, but it should have been, what, 27? Something like that, that they scored, uh, pretty easy, close to 30 points. So there should have been a 30 point differential, but if there's, if there's anything that Dak Prescott can do is, uh, Throw touchdown passes against prevent defense, uh, where, hey, we, we just want you to, to matriculate the ball down the field and we'll give you scores, but we're just fighting against the, the clock here. Uh, for, you know, of course, Caleb took his Packers at plus seven and a half with a straight up win of the Packers. Good job on that one. And we both had over 49 and a half. Uh, did not realize that we just needed a field goal from the Cowboys to get the over on that one. But, uh, yeah, good job on the Packers. I said earlier that uh, Jordan Love was him. Uh, somehow the Packers just keep getting, uh, you know, franchise level quarterback play, uh, year after year after year. We are what in year. 32 of, uh, the Packers having franchise level quarterback play. Um, yeah. So I'm going to let you gloat about the team that you own, Caleb. Uh, tell me about those Packers. Woo. That game was not what I was expecting, but it felt so incredible. Uh, you are correct. Back to the 1992 season, that's when Brett Favre got his start. And while Jordan Love did end up getting three touchdown passes in this game, uh, I think a lot of this game and the credit deserves to go to Showtime, Aaron Jones, who loves playing against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he went out there, put up 21 carries for 118 yards and three touchdowns. Yes, I know Jordan Love had 16 for 21 for 272 and three touchdowns, of which Romeo Dobbs had an amazing game, going six for 151 and a touchdown. I mean, in general, I'm just proud uh, of our team. We faced the Dallas Cowboys, didn't give up any sacks, despite the fact that we have a fairly young offensive line. I think that LaFleur did a great job with the pass protections and the various packages that he was putting out there for that. And let's face it, if the Cowboys aren't sacking you, the rest of their defense looks kind of bad. Um, 
you know, Aaron Jones had two early touchdowns. The second one was aided by a Jared Alexander pick that put the ball in the red zone. Dak threw his second pick of the game in the two-minute offense when Darnell Savage picked him off and ran it back for a touchdown in one of the easiest run back for a touchdowns I think I've ever seen. It was a, we know that you're probably going to try to throw it to CD because he's CD. Um, but you, you got to at least look at your options, look at the field deck, take what the defense is giving you. And it was not that route. Uh, they, they wanted to jump that route. Darnell Savage was all over that ball. And it was 27 to nothing then. The Cowboys did get a touchdown from Jake Ferguson right at the half as time was expiring. They ended up showing during halftime that, uh, the pack, uh, the, the Cowboys offensive line was actually had a false start that didn't get caught during that play, which moved, moved them back from the one to the six, which would have made the half potentially a little bit more chaotic. And yes, Jake Ferguson also got touchdown receptions after the Packers had taken a 48 to 16 lead where they were trying to get touchdowns. Um, I do think it was interesting, Derek, when you saw them trying to do the comeback, they had gotten a touchdown reception or a, a touchdown run from Tony Pollard. They were going to go for two, trying to make it a, you know, two touchdowns and two extra two uh two point conversions to get it. Ended up getting called for offensive pass interference, pushed the extra point back, and then they doinked the extra point. And so then they were down 18. Anyway, no two point conversion. No extra point, just the touchdown. And after that, it felt like their defense kind of gave up a little bit because the Musgrave touchdown was wide open. I think that you and I might have been able to run that ball in from where Musgrave caught it. Probably, and I'm slow. So uh I think it was barely uh anyone even touching him at the goal line. I uh I don't know. How, I mean, I don't know in the NFL how you get that open, uh, but he was, and he got into the end zone. It was, uh, it was a great game. I'm just saying, I have a lot of Cowboy, uh, fan friends, and, uh, yeah, going back to work, uh, after a three day weekend, I got to gloat. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Did I, did I talk too much about the Packers, Derek? Do we need to move on to the next one? Uh, I, all I have to say is, uh, I think Dan Quinn is gone to another team, uh, this year. And if Dan Quinn is gone, you should go ahead and fire Mark McCarthy and, uh, reset. That'll be interesting. Uh, let's get to the best game of the weekend though, as there was a, a tight game in the Motor City. The Lions won 24 to 23. Of course, this is the game that beforehand I was like, these kickers miss. Of course, they're going to miss. I believe Derek called for a 24-20 to win by the Lions where they would cover. Uh, I called for a 21-17 to win. You know, we just need Brett Maher to miss a field goal, and one of us will look very smart. No, the Rams covered the three because it's a 24-23 game. They didn't miss the kick you know, making my commentary look a little ridiculous. And we both miss because it was Rams plus three. 
Uh, we did both hit on our under though, as we went under 51 and a half. This one, they, they, it was only a total of 47. So if they put the over under a little lower on this one, it would have been over, but this one was under. Uh, Derek, where do you want to jump in as far as Detroit getting their first postseason win in 32 years? This was absolutely amazing to, to watch on TV. I mean, the Ford Field just went absolutely uh, crazy. I mean, Detroit was just – I mean, I, I'm surprised there are uh, cars that are not flipped over. This was the Super Bowl for the, the Lions. They still have a long way to go. I think they can get there. Uh, they have a really good team. Um, I, I will tell you this. In uh, 39 weeks from now, there's going to be a lot of babies born by the name of Jared and uh, – this is uh this is great. Uh it is so funny to me to watch the Rams march down the field. Just look really good. Oh, Puka Nakua catches the ball. It's over the middle and then they get to just on the other side of the 20-yard line in their own red area gold zone whatever you want to call it. Uh and then offense stalls. They kick a field goal. Okay, cool. They hit another field goal. Okay, cool. Like they between the twenties, they were just deadly. Uh, like they just the the Lions couldn't stop them. But you get to the twenty yard line and Sean McVay just like if he converts to one of those, if he can like it was didn't they kick like three three field goals in a row? It was like. 14, it was, uh, 24, 14, then 17, then, uh, 20, then 23. Like, I think they went so three times. At the halftime, it was 21, 17. The Rams had kicked a 24 yarder okay. early in the game. Uh-huh. And in the second half, when they were down 24, 17, they kicked ones from tw- that were 27 and 29 yards. So, of course, very close on those field goals. Um, you're mentioning that they were driving down the field so much. I have to give a huge shout out to Pukunakua, nine for 181 and a touchdown. Of course, a 50 yard touchdown because, like you said, they couldn't do anything down by the goal line. Uh, you know, their other touchdown was another deep one late in the first half. Uh, when Tutu Atwell caught his only pass of the game, you know, 38 yards for a TD. It was. It was a game where when push came to shove, Detroit was not getting shoved around in the red zone. Um, you know, I was listening to what we were saying last week. I said that this was finesse versus physical. The Rams are the finesse team. You get down near the goal line, it is all about physicality. That's what Dan Campbell's teams want to do, and that's what they did. Has anyone checked on the kneecaps of the Rams? Because I think they uh, they got hit, they uh, they got up and bought and bit some kneecaps on the uh, on the way up. Because th- those Lions just uh, Aiden Hutchinson is a fun guy to watch because uh, he is just disrupting every play that he possibly can. I love this new. I say new. These I, I love the pass rushers that are in the NFL nowadays, um, especially those edge guys. 
Uh, and, you know, speaking of Michigan guys coming from the University of Michigan, going to a Detroit. Uh, so it's really funny to me that because we're talking about this, this Lions team, that we have two teams from the NFC North and zero teams from the uh, NFC East in this uh, playoff. It's it's leftover. It's just, it's so fun to me. Uh, I would like to start a pitch now for an All North Super Bowl Ravens Packers. Let's make it happen. Ravens. That's yeah. That could that could happen. Uh, speaking of the AFC North, nice segue there, Mr. Caleb. Uh, I have the Steelers at the Bills. Um, uh, this one, um, you know, you have a backup quarterback, probably third string quarterback. If, uh, if you're looking at the depth chart, uh, into the playoffs, uh, in the, going against the only New York team. Um, so Bills 31, Steelers 17, uh, the uh, Bills were minus 10. I thought the Steelers were going to keep it within 10 uh, on the last one, and uh, it did go over 37. I thought it was going to be a much lower-scoring game than it was, but when I picked the game, um, it was going to be a much lower-scoring game, and, but they moved it for a little bit of precipitation. Um, a little bit of the white stuff, and I'm not talking about the uh, the stuff that the mafia uses. I'm talking about snow. They were there was so much snow in the the bleachers and the stands and on the field. But when it came to game time on Monday, it was pretty clear. Uh, they got everything picked up pretty well. Uh, it looked like it looked like they had a, a good time doing it. So, um, you know. Good on them when I, I, I picked it because of the snowstorm, the certain way, um, those, uh, governors and their moving of football games, uh, ruined my, my bet. That's fair. I think that they ruined my under as well. I, it was, it was the Josh Allen show. Uh, Josh Allen threw for three touchdowns, ran for a 52 yard touchdown. Yes, uh, I felt like the Raiders did what they could to get back into the game, but the the late touchdown reception from Khalil Shakir, where he just would not go down, like it looked like he should have been down and then should have been down some more, but he fought his way into the end zone. Kudos to him for that. Also, uh, Derek, I know you said that they cleared a lot of the snow. It was fun seeing like b- the Buffalo fans throwing snow up in the air after some of those scores where uh the, the snow that was going up around the stadium it it felt like LeBron pregame man like yeah. the, the, there was like you just see uh a LeBron pregame was a chalk a, a third to white substance uh that was going up in the air but these ones were all throwing the snow up in the air and it was a lot of chaos and a lot of fun. Uh, those Bills fans enjoyed the heck out of that atmosphere. And it's stuff like that that make me say, uh, I'm glad that we don't have domes everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we are, you know, we, we multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, a lot of people bet on games. Uh, it's going to come around and affect things in the future. I promise you. But uh, let's take a look real quick. 
at that Bills Dolphins game. Uh, at the last game of the season for the AFC East, how that affected the playoffs. Because Bills win that game, they stay at home yeah. uh, in the snow. They beat the Steelers. Uh, Dolphins win that game. Someone comes to them. and I believe uh, it would have been that the Steelers yeah. would have still gone to them, and the Bills would have had to go to... Kansas City. Yeah. So they, yeah, because uh, they they would have just swept the flip spots. Uh, so, yeah, Bills going, I mean, they, it would have been a much more even game when it came to snow-based things and, and cold weather. But, uh, and the Dolphins probably would be uh, marching along and we would have had a great uh, first round matchup. But we'll see it this coming week, as we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Uh, anyone tells you that the regular season doesn't matter, look at this. Yeah, they're wrong. Uh, so let's go ahead and get to the the cap of Super Wild Card Weekend, which was the Eagles at the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers squashed this game. They won 32-9. to They put up... 13 before Philly scored at all. And even when Philly got their first touchdown to make it 16 to nine before the half, the Bucks just took control in the second half. Uh, big touchdown receptions from Trey Palmer and Chris Godwin extended the lead and just made it go completely out of reach for the Eagles, which, uh, you could argue are another team that has to be questioning what the heck they're doing on the coaching staff because despite Sirianni's success, that back half of the year was abysmal. Um, we'll let that go for now, though. Uh, Derek, congrats to you. You did have the Bucks plus the two and a half in this game. We did both nail the under of 44 and a half because it ended up at 41. Uh, uh, why don't I uh, go ahead and just give the mic to you and let you bake a little bit. Shake and bake, baby. Shake and bake. I, I do not know why I root for a team of the opposing, uh, team to, to, uh, I love Baker Mayfield. I think the guy is what a NFL quarterback should be. He got absolutely messed over by the Cleveland Browns, uh, took them to the playoffs, won a playoff game, tried to play hurt, and that affected his his play um, at the end of the season. Uh, so they moved on to a different quarterback, way overpaid for it, and now they're paying dividends. Goes to Carolina. We all see what's happening in Carolina. Didn't do a very you know did, couldn't win many games down there. Goes and wins a uh, a game in what four days uh, for the for the Rams. You know, didn't, uh, didn't know the playbook, but he, uh, or, I mean, he's very smart and knows, uh, passing plays, but, uh, just a couple of days comes in, wins a playoff game for the Rams, and then gets a chance with the Bucks. Really shows up. They go win the South. Um, and I'm going to, uh, officially on this podcast, uh, apologize to Todd Bowles. Uh, I've never been a fan of Todd Bowles. 
Um, I didn't like when Bruce Arian retired and handed the reins to Todd Bowles. Didn't think that uh, they were going to be able to do anything. Uh, they're what back to back to back uh, South champions at least four two years. time NFC South champions four times. So uh, back to back to back to back uh, NFC South champions. You know, I uh, so the coaching clearly doing their job, uh, getting things done, choosing the right quarterback. I'm hoping that he comes back and is the starting quarterback next year for the Bucks, so that. Uh, and on the Eagles side, a very uh, warm, happy retirement to the center, Jason Kelsey. Um, the linchpin of the brotherly shove. Um, I don't know what happened this year, going 10-1 and one and then losing... Uh, five of six at the end of the year. Something happened. Injuries happened. Uh, losing both your coordinators, uh, after the Super Bowl, I think really did affect, um, this team. So, I don't know what happens with him after this year. Um, I mean, I don't think you can fire Sirianni. I think you have to run it back with and, you know, see what you got, uh, especially find yourself a, a proper defensive coordinator. But, yeah, uh, Eagles, it is what it is, I guess. It is what it is. Derek, I believe that it is time for us to jump into these divisional round games that are coming up. Uh a lot of great football and super wild card weekend, but let's get excited for the eight teams that are yet to play. We're going to get things started by looking at the matchup that is coming up with the same crew, the Monday night football crew, as they have the, what always appears to be the Texans time slot, that 3.30 kick on Saturday afternoon here for us in Central Time. It is the Texans at the Ravens. Uh, when it opened up, the Ravens were a nine point favorite. This game has an over under of 45 and a half. Derek, we talked about a lot of things with the Texans recap. CJ Stroud had a huge game. Uh, Dalton Schultz had a good game. Brevin Jordan, Nico Collins, Devin Singletary. Everyone had a pretty dang good game for the Texans at home. Are you nervous to see this young team go on the road? and face another physical AFC North team in Baltimore. Yeah, so it's all fun and games until you get to the divisional round. Um, the Super Wild Card Weekend, uh, you know, anyone can win. Any given Sunday, as we've always heard, and then any given Saturday in other games, any given Monday on uh, other games. Uh, but for this one, we are we now have the number one seats. Uh, there's a reason why they are the number one seeds, uh, especially when it comes to the AFC, uh, and especially the king of the AFC North, as I believe all of the, uh, all but one of the AFC North teams had 10 wins, and that other team had 9 wins. Um, so, AFC North, really good this year. Uh, for me, I think the Texans, uh, have a good showing. Uh, I think it's a very, uh, offensive-minded game. 
I'm taking the over of the 45 and a half, but I'm also taking the Ravens minus nine. That's a big, a big spread to cover. It so is a big spread to cover. The Ravens minus the nine. Where do you think that they kind of dominate this game? Is it that they, uh, I do know, I believe you said over 45 and a over, half as well. Yeah. Are you just expecting them to come out and, uh, Lamar is going to fling the ball around, fresh offense. They're looking good, or is this more of a uh, the the Texans like is it a shootout or like how are you kind of putting this game? Yeah, so I think that this is a shootout in the first half, and the Ravens pull away uh, toward the end. I think there's going to be uh, some big runs that are broken uh, by the because the the Ravens. They're just going to run the they're going to run the ball as much as they can, and that's going to suck up the the Texans into try to stop the run and just over the top Zay Flowers or someone like that uh, is going to is going to get on the other side. So I don't think it's it's slinging the ball everywhere, but I think it's opportunistic passing, and I think a really tough uh, Ravens defense, and uh, I think uh, the a uh, uh, Harbaugh wins a playoff game. That, that's fair. I do think uh, you could argue that the start of this year could be the year of Harbaugh. Uh, you know, Jim goes out and wins a college football national championship at Michigan. John, definitely one of the most experienced coaches in the NFL. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how things happen on that defensive side of the ball because there are it really is a three-headed pass rush as far as people who've been able to get at the quarterback. And I think that when you look at the Ravens, there's a little bit of a potential revenge factor here. Mm -hmm. So you do have inside that defensive line, Justin Matabuke, who has 13 sacks. You've got on the outside players like Jadavian Clowney, who had nine and a half. And uh, if he's healthy enough for this game, Kyle Van Noy also had nine sacks this year. Um, they have Kyle Hamilton. Like, there's there's so many people on this Ravens defense that I think that the Ravens are going to, to play a great game and a solid game. And they make me nervous about how well I think the Texans can actually do because of just – how good I feel about Baltimore. Now, Derek, if we were going to give the Texans more of a chance, who do you think is going to show up well outside of, you know, of course, CJ Stroud, who else has to show up well for them to, to really make their mark on this game? Okay. So uh, I hate to be the person who picks all the best rookies, but I think you have to, if you're sacking uh, Lamar or keeping him in the pocket, Will Anderson, Junior, you know, if he's going out there and disrupting plays, I think you're you're able to, uh, you know, to change the outlook. Like you said, nine is a lot of points, um, and I could definitely see that being within the margin. But you're going to have to run the ball really well. You're going to have to play solid defense, and you're probably going to have to play man coverage uh, a little bit versus uh, some of these receivers so you can have that extra guy in the box. So I think it's this, this is going to be a Texans 
victory or a Texans loss. I don't think there's anyone other than C.J. Stroud that's going to affect the overall game plan to a point of this guy's going to take over the game. I think that's fair. And based off of what you were saying, Derek, uh, I'm going to go ahead. I, I am going to take the Ravens minus nine as well. I'm going to go with the under. I think this is a little bit more of, uh, I'm going to say Ravens 28, Texans 10 type game, where I think that it might be 14 to 10 or 14 to 7 at the half, uh-huh. and that the Ravens just pull it away in the second half. I just think that their defense is so good and so dominant, they're going to get uh, a couple extra possessions potentially for them, uh, possibly cause a Singletary fumble. But I think that the Ravens are going to to find their way to take care of this one uh, early on that that Saturday. Plus, they didn't play their players in week 18, so they've had two weeks of rest, and I think they're going to show up and be just fine. Uh, Derek, why don't you take us to the nightcap on Saturday? Yeah, so this is going to be the Packers at the 49ers. The 49ers are favored by 10 points. If we're talking about nine points with the Ravens, 49ers have 10 points. The over-under is 49 and a half. Uh, and so for this one, man, this was a very difficult, uh, after this last week's game, I, I shook my head a, a little bit on this and I, I kind of went back and forth on where I think this game is going to go. Um, this is going to have to be the Christian McCaffrey, Aaron Jones, uh, show. This is going to be a running game battle because I think the uh the quarterbacks are evenly matched. I think they they can definitely go out there. I mean I I course push toward the 49ers when it comes to receivers because Packers have young guys, don't have as much experience and uh I think that the offensive mind of uh Shanahan's a little bit better. But that being said, I think the Packers have a real chance at uh, at coming into uh into San Francisco and doing some things. I'm definitely taking the over on this one. I think we're going to have 35-31. No, can't be that. Uh 35-24. There we go. Uh on a uh uh but I th- I do think that the Niners cover the 10. Uh, much like the, I think the Ravens and the 49er game are going to be very similar. I think that, uh, we're going to have some back and forth, uh, scoring before the half. And then at halftime, things flip over to playoff mode. And Christian McCaffrey has over a hundred yards, uh, probably 60 receiving yards, two total touchdowns, probably. I think this is definitely going to have to be one of those games where uh, the opportunistic Packers defense, uh, opportunistic secondary is going to kept, be, be kept at bay, and we're going to have to figure out if they can stop the run. Uh, I have the 49ers minus 10 in this game. I think it's interesting where you're coming from, Derek, because, I mean, this is the 49ers. They – the only time they struggled at all this year was the three-game stretch that they did not have Debo Samuel. Now, you can say they lost in Week 18. They were resting a ton of people. 
they also had a loss to the Ravens when the Ravens just looked like the best team in football. And it's part of why we're taking the Ravens so strongly over the Texans. It's tough for me to look at this team and not take them to win. I also thought the Cowboys would win. I just didn't think they were going to win by seven and a half. Um, I'm going to at least go out there and take the Packers plus 10, just because I feel like the spread is a big spread. I think that we saw Jordan Love go out there on the road and have a fantastic game. This is a team that, as I said before, has the talent to be able to play up there with everyone. And they've finally gotten to the point where they're putting it together. I probably undersold how much it was that Aaron Jones was hurt so much this year. Uh, he had injured his hamstring early in the year. He came back and hurt himself again. He doesn't have the wear on his body this year, and he looked electric against the Dallas Cowboys. Am I saying he's going to come out and look just as electric against the 49ers? Probably not. The 49ers have Nick Bosa. If we can have another game where the Packers don't give up another sack, that's ridiculous. I just think it's going to be one of those things where I'm going to put this in another high-scoring game. I'll go with you, Derek, on the over 49-and-a-half because I do think that this is going to be a points of palooza out there by the bay. I think that the Packers need to get some better kicking from Anders Carlson in this one. He's had his struggles. He missed a PAT this past week. But I think when you look at them, there's not a, this is what we have to do to shut down the Packers. Because they will spread you wide. They will throw it all over the place. There's not one receiver that has a fantastic game week in and week out. And so I don't know that there's a great way to stop them in the passing game. The person who makes me the most nervous, though, Derek, on the 49ers is George Kittle. Yeah. We just saw the Packers give up three touchdowns to Jake Ferguson. Granted, one of those we had, like, the backups in for the entire drive, whatever. But Jake Ferguson was able to get past us on our linebackers several times. We had some injuries to some linebackers in that game. Trent McDuffie went down with an injury. Or Trent McDuffie's a corner somewhere else. I think it's Isaiah McDuffie. I get the McDuffie brothers that are not actually brothers. Confused. And uh, also, I, I know Quay Walker left the game with an injury at one point as well. If our linebackers are not good, George Kittle is going to cook. George Kittle is going to eat, and he's going to be Brock Purdy's security blanket and someone who he's just going to find open all day against our coverage. That makes me nervous. That makes me crazy nervous. But I don't think that this is going to be beating us on the outside with Ayuk and Debo, unless they're putting Debo in the slot more. But I think that it's more of a middle-of-the-field passing attack where the 49ers are going to find a way to leverage a bit more and try to get the job done. And, of course, if I'm going to say that McCaffrey is going to play, he's going to score a touchdown. He just does it every time he's out there. <laughs> so I'm going to say that McCaffrey will score a touchdown in this game. Uh, Derek, anything that you want to add, anything that you think I'm maybe being too much of a homer about the Packers with that I'm not seeing here? Uh, because I don't want to have too many blind spots. No, you are. You have every right to to jump out here on this pay on the Packers. 
after last week, um, I I was a fool. I was uh, I I did not believe in the Packers, and they showed me that maybe they are uh, a team that can sw- switch it on in the playoffs. Um, and I'll tell you this, y'all, Lions better watch out next year for that North title because. Packers know how to win that uh, and, and get a home game, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It will be a lot of fun indeed. Let's go. Let's start the Saturday, the uh, the Sunday games though. As we continue in the NFC, the Tampa Bay Bucks, who won the South, are going to go up and face those Detroit Lions at a two o'clock kick, and the Lions are favored by six points in this contest. With again. One of the higher over-unders of the week at 48 and a half. Derek, I think that you have a lot that you love about both of these teams. Uh, can you just, let's, let's talk linemen for a second. What linemen are you wanting to see in this game? I know I gave you the Lions last week with this type of example, but what, what linemen, uh, let's start with offensive. I want two offensive and two defensive linemen that you're excited to see here. So I, I mean, I, I, I go Pene Sewell for the, the Lions just because I like saying his name a lot. Uh, just, just to be completely honest. Um, you know, the Lions have a lot of guys that, you know, don't jump out at you. They don't, uh, they're, they're not going to be the, the name. They're like, oh, this is the, the, the best, the best guy that, uh, everyone's going to, pick up in the uh you know in, in in free agency or whatever but what they do is they just go out there and they push people around so uh you know like of course if uh Taylor Decker can go out there and uh, get eligible uh <laughs> I'm never going to stop making that joke uh and then I love a good center so Frank Ragnow uh, is definitely, uh, you're definitely that guy. You, you, the middle is where you start. And, uh, that's all you really, uh, that's all you really need. Uh, and then, you know, I'll jump on the other side of, uh, of it. And when it comes to the, the Bucks, it is a, I didn't see them coming. I didn't see them coming this way. I, I was expecting the Falcons. I was expecting something like that. Um, but I'm always going to go with the the red-headed, uh, tooth, toothless guy, uh, Cody. Is it? Mock. Mock. There we go. I was, trying, I was trying to figure out how to say it again. Cody Mock, their right guard. Um as with uh when you get to the playoffs, it's fun to throw the ball all around the field, but you definitely want to be able to control the line of scrimmage and to run the ball and that's what you're gonna gonna have to do so Cody Mock is my uh my lineman from the the bucks and uh you know let's go rag now from the uh from the lions. Nice. I like where you're coming from there, Derek. And it's just one of those things where I look up and down these rosters and one player that uh, felt snubbed. I know when we got to the Pro Bowl 
was Antoine Winfield. Uh, uh-huh. He ended up being the first team all pro this year and just someone who has been having a, a very solid year. Uh, what type of impact do you potentially see Winfield having in this game? So I, I, I don't know what to, to call out on these, on these teams. So when, uh, when you have like, like the Bucks all of a sudden go out here and they can throw the ball down the field. Hey, Mike Evans is down there somewhere. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know what to, what to, where these teams, like, cause I've, I've seen the Lions be good. I've seen the Bucks be good. I saw what they were doing last year. Uh, but you're gonna have to stop the passing game. I mean, for both of these teams and make them run the ball. Uh, so I think Winfield has a, has a big, a big game. I think that he's definitely going to, uh, be covering the, when you're in the middle of the field, you, you're covering everybody, but you're definitely, you you have to stop those big plays, and with the when it comes to the Lions, you're going to have to stop the big plays down the field, and I think that's where you're uh, that's why you have Winfield. I think that's fair. I think that it's interesting because when you look at him, he's a player who has three picks this year, six sacks, six forced fumbles, and four fumble recoveries. So just really having a fantastic impact and really making things happen for his team this year in a way that I think a lot of people just were underestimating for him. Uh, Derek, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb on this one first, because uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't buy into them before the postseason. I don't know that I bought into them. I didn't buy into them last week. I'm going to go ahead and take the bucks to cover in this game. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and go with the Buccaneers, plus that six, and I'm also going to go ahead and say that this is going to be a grinder game. Could we talk about Mike Evans? Could we talk about, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown? Yes. I think that we also are not saying enough, because you talked about Aiden Hutchinson earlier. We could talk about Vita Vea and the impact he'll have on the ground game of the Lions. I mean, he's he and Frank Ragnow are going to be a matchup. Like, uh-huh. play in and play out. Because if Vita Vea is winning that matchup, David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs are having a bad day. Yeah. And let's face it, you don't want to put all of this on Jared Goff. So even if Vea wins 50% of those, it's not going to be fun for the Lions offensive line. They're probably going to be looking to double Vita Vea whenever possible. But I'm going to go ahead and go under the 48 and a half and take the Bucks plus six. Uh, Derek, do you agree? Are you against me? Where do you kind of stand on this one? So under 48 and a half, uh, I think this is going to be a, a lower scoring game. But I have the Lions uh, going through on this one as uh, I, I think that this is a team of destiny this year. I mean, that's interesting. Uh, just... I I can see it going either way here, Derek. Just is there anything that makes you feel like I know we were both on the Lions last week, so uh-huh. I was the Lions minus three. I, I don't know if I'm just feeling a little burned. Um, do you just think that they're a touchdown winner, or do you think that this is more of a 
uh, a lopsided game, potentially like the Texans-Ravens game that I was projecting. Yeah, so I think the the Lions win by three, and then I give their home field advantage being uh, another three. So uh, this is this is something that it's it's a it's a momentum game. So I think you have gotten over uh, a big hump, a a team that um, you kind of worried about for a little bit there um you know gets it toward the end of the game you win by one point uh this one i don't think that they're going to allow uh if they if they get up that big i don't think they're going to get to let the buccaneers get back into it now the buccaneers went out last week and put it on the eagles um uh, and so the, that game was really not competitive for most of that game. Um, so they really don't know what it's like to have to come back in the playoffs. Um, it's been a while since they've, they've done that. Uh, and the Lions would have won by six if they, if they didn't let the, the Rams, if they played defense in the, on the rest of the field that they play in the, uh, the scoring area, they would have won, you know, by more than uh, by more than they did. They would have won by seven if they wouldn't have given up those two uh, two field goals. Uh, I hear you, Derek. I yeah. like where you're coming from. It makes sense. Uh, let's go ahead and let's let's move and circle the wagons as we head to the final game of the week. Derek, what's going on there? Yeah, so we are talking about the Chiefs at the Bills. So. Uh, like I said earlier, this is the first uh, away game of Patrick Mahomes' playoff career. He has always had home games uh, at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, and this is against a team that has some bad blood. Uh, but I think Patrick, Patrick and Travis Kelsey are going to shake it off. Um, and I don't think that the snow is going to be uh, as big of a deal. Um, and I think it will evermore uh, be a sunny day and see how many more Taylor Swift songs I can put into this uh, description. Uh, so for so I'm looking at uh, this defense of the Chiefs. You know, we've talked about the the offense being you know, the key to everything. I mean, Andy Reid is one of the best offensive-minded in the game. Patrick Mahomes and, and Kelsey, I mean, if your receivers can catch the ball, you're probably doing a lot better. Um, you know, the Chiefs are also, uh, you know, a fingertip catch away from hosting hosting the uh, all their games. Uh, but, you know... I think that it's a defense that is going to be who's going to come through in the in the end. This is not going to be a Chiefs blowout game. This is going to be a uh, a rock'em sock'em robots of proportion that you haven't seen in a while. Um, I will say that Josh Allen probably needs to learn how to slide a little bit because he's going to have his head removed 
if he uh, if he doesn't. So um, with the the defense being better, being the team that they can uh, being the the side of the ball that they Chiefs can rely on, uh, and uh, you know, Isaiah Pacheco finally being the guy that uh, seems to have some rushing talent in Kansas City. Uh, this is going to be a game that uh, is going to be back and forth. It's definitely going to be one of those games that you don't see, you know, three touchdown passes by Patrick Mahomes. If he has one, it'll probably be a, uh, you know, a... a I uh, pass from the two-yard line into uh, Kelsey or something like that. It's not going to be big chunk plays. So uh, I am going to go ahead and agree with you and go ahead and at least call this part out. I'm going under the 45-and-a-half on this game. Okay. Um, what what the Chiefs have been doing and what the Bucks or the Bills have been doing has been more of a defensive first mentality. Mm-hmm. Steve Spagnuolo does that. And while the stars are all known on the offensive side of the ball, the defense matters and the defense is going to play a role. I did double check, Derek. Temperature in Buffalo for this game is supposed to be um, the high during that day is 26. But with it being the Sunday night game, it is going to be colder, uh, down to 18 degrees. And it says that it's going to feel like three. Oh, so the so, Chiefs are going to a warmer climate than where know. they were at. I know. Um, also, apparently, Buffalo is getting hit by lake effect snow today, tomorrow, and Thursday. So, uh, not 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 a place they're they're going to have to break the snow shovels back out. But consider this to be a a blocking game, a game where I think the fact that. The Bills are at least a little bit more willing to let Josh Allen do things like quarterback draws or quarterback sneaks to be an impactful play in this one. Um, I did see him slide at least once in the game against the Steelers, Derek, but he got hit by Miles Jack late anyway and picked up a personal foul. So uh, I don't know. I think that it's a curious game. It's a game between two teams that have known each other well, that have been playing each other in the playoffs. I I don't love picking either side of it yet. Uh, but I do feel like the under is solid. Uh, Derek, do, is there anyone in this game that that you're particularly, like, excited to watch uh, on the outside or at the skill positions? I just am curious what your thoughts are. Okay, so Chris Jones is going to be the difference maker in this game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, um, so look, I, I do math when it comes to football. So like, okay, who has a better quarterback? Okay, well, let's just mark them both off because they, uh, they're just as good as, as one another. Patrick can have a better game. Uh, Josh can have a better game. They're, they're very talented one another. Who has the better running back? Okay, well, Chiefs by a little bit, but not that much. Uh, wide receivers. Buffalo has those. Tight end. Chiefs have, uh, that one, but just by a little bit. Dolphin Kincaid is a, uh, a good one. Um, and Knox is a definitely, uh, an upgrade 
as a backup guy to uh, Blake Bell. Do love me some Blake Bell uh, for the Chiefs as uh, the belldozer uh, still rings true in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, so for me, yeah, you have to go, okay, are you going to be able to block that guy in the middle of the Chiefs defense? Because it gets to the playoffs and he's going to make you pay. Uh, and so you're looking at the middle, you're looking at David Edwards, and you're looking at Mitch Morris, and you're looking at Osiris Torrance. Um, can they block, what, 60 plays, probably? Um, play after play after play, uh, with him out there? Do they, you know, do, do you constantly have, uh, you know, them swapping out to, uh, half fresh guys out there? I think this is going to be uh, how long does Josh Allen have to hold the ball to get it downfield or to get it to his guys? Are the Chiefs able to cover? Speaking of, uh, Trent McDuffie plays for the Chiefs, uh, just so you can uh, know where McDuffie goes. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, as not, not to go back plenty of years, but like Vaughn Miller did in the uh, Super Bowl 50, he took over that game uh and beat up Cam Newton uh in that uh, in that game i think we're looking at the same thing i think two three sacks for chris jones and i think they're putting and, and i'm not talking about you know second and 12 it's going to be second and 17 it's going to be get them back there josh allen likes to run can you keep him in the pocket and if you keep him in the pocket chris jones is going to take over that's fair. Uh, that's really fair. I think that when I'm looking at this and I'm coming to a conclusion, I'm just going to go ahead and go with the don't pick against the Super Bowl champs until they're out. So I'm going to take the Chiefs plus the two and a half. I'm going to take the under 45 and a half. I don't know that I'm like gung ho on it, but let's face it, Derek, we talked about it before. The The reason this game is in Buffalo instead of Kansas City is because Kadarius Tony lined up off sides. But <laughs> yeah. if he doesn't line up off sides, there's a good chance the Chiefs win that game on that trick play where Kelsey lateraled the ball across the field to Tony. Andy Reid is going to draw some stuff up. There's going to be some stuff that's tough, tough to stop. And you know that while McDermott has a very disciplined defense, there are some things you just can't plan for. Uh, so I've said where I'm at on the under and the the line. Derek, where are you landing on all of this? We're in a complete agreement. I'm going under. I'm going Chiefs two and a half. Um, I really hate that it's going to be uh, another year without Josh Allen in the uh, AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl. But uh, I'm not sure that Josh Allen will make it through the Ravens if. Uh, in the uh, the championship game to get to the Super Bowl, so um, we shall see. I, I am I'm going to put my chips on the Chiefs. I mean, one game at a time here, Derek. We know that anything could happen in this contest. Uh, anything could happen in any of the contests, really. Like, if there's anything that we learned from this past week, you know, the Browns were favored, the Cowboys were favored, and the Eagles were favored. Vegas was wrong on the outcome straight on those three. So anything can happen. That's why they play the games on the field. 
You just brought up Vegas. Did you hear about the Vegas uh, moneymaker on the Cowboys this last week? No, I did not. What, what okay, are you talking so, about? Okay, uh, so Vegas made so much money on the Packers at the Cowboys because people just kept pouring money into on on the Cowboys in the at the at, at halftime uh, at the end of the third quarter into the mid, midway through the fourth quarter. Like I was uh, watching, I think it was probably Schefter, um, Adam Schefter that I was watching, but they just kept. Like, it was the biggest, because uh, they just kept pouring money in on the, oh, the Cowboys will come back. The Cowboys will come back. And, like, when they scored their first touchdown, everyone kept betting the Cowboys. Like when they scored the second touchdown, people bet the Cowboys more. And, uh, like, it was just, people were handing money to the betting sites, uh, thinking that the Cowboys were going to come back from a, what, 27 point. Uh, so, to our uh to our listeners who are not in the state of Oklahoma, to those who uh are in betting states, please be smart. Do not bet what you cannot afford to lose. Uh the best way to do that is just do high fives and handshakes. because uh, Caleb gets a whole bunch of high fives. I get some handshakes. Uh and that's the best way to do it, because we don't uh our wives aren't mad at us when we lose money. Exactly. I think that's a a good way to wrap it up here on this week's episode. I hope that you all enjoy the divisional round games as much as we enjoyed the super wild card weekend of games. On behalf of my co-host, Captain Orange, a.k.a. Derek Rusnick, my name is Caleb Walgren. We are signing off. Later, y'all. Bye, guys.